Everybody come together, join along the same. We are the Pip Cat Show. Hey, my Pip Cat peeps. Welcome to the first of what I hope will be many episodes of my podcast. I take a news and interviews approach to the podcast with the latest interesting news up front in quick bites so you can catch on quickly. I follow that up with interviews, analysis, or discussion. My main focus is mobile Linux, but frequently branch out into other subjects. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to the RSS or follow us on the usual channels. A video will also be made available on our PeerTube instance. Keep an eye out for the links. Don't forget to get in touch if you'd like to ask questions or offer yourself up for a sacrifice for an interview. Hello, hello, hello. My name is another Kiwi guy. Now, I'm a bit of a tinkerer, but my dev skills are pretty much limited to bash scripting. Uh, yeah, I know. I've got a heavy interest in privacy, data autonomy, and fuss in general. I have a family of my own, and I've worked for companies like Compaq, Hewlett Packard, Fujitsu, and Toshiba. I found Linux on the cover of a magazine back in 1999, and was pretty much hooked on it immediately. While I never stuck with it due to work commitments, I've kept coming back to it and eventually based my old business on the back of Linux server support. These days, I've since closed out of the business and moved on to more personal projects like the Pine ecosystem and FOSS in general. So with introductions out of the way, let's get into it. This is not a test. This month, we have a few interesting things to talk about, but primary among them, I was able to sit and have a chat with Arnaud, the Mobian founder, where we have a casual conversation about Mobian, its future, and his own personal projects. Stick around till the end to hear from him. Number one. Postmarket OS released their ninth podcast this month, with hosts Clayton, Bart, Martine, Alexi, Dylan, and Ollie. Martine has upgraded the kernel for the Rock Pro 64 and the Pinebook Pro to decrease its size due to the boot partition size problem. The boot partition size has also been increased alongside this change. One of the other topics covered was the modem manager for the Pinephone. Dylan brings up a new modem manager release that helps with quick resume, but on the downside, the QMI indicator is being missed. This is a quirk of the Pinephone modem firmware. Martone also released an updated Postmarket OS tweaks, which now allows changing of the background image for both the lock screen and application launcher. This works by editing the override file to change the image, but be wary, it has the potential to damage any customizations you may have already made. It should be intelligent enough to avoid doing any damage, but keep an eye on it and remember to report any bugs. There's also an open pull request that allows for colorized PM bootstrap, which looks interesting. Screenshots are on the pull request. Finally, Ollie went to the movies and gives his opinion on the Chaos Computer Club. Number two. LinMob released his latest Linux phone news on his blog, which covers off some great subjects with links to relevant content. This includes the new Genome Calls 41, Chatty 0.4.0, and some info about FX Technology hiring an in-house engineer for Linux mainline support. There's some great updates about software development and a few video links to the most recent posts. Well worth a look if you're after some really up-to-date content. Number. 
Over on Twitter, Nuclear Frog shows Waydroid running on Manjaro Plasma Mobile, which is an achievement. But as if on cue, Danknex uploads a video showing a running and playable version of Subway Surfers running on Waydroid. For those who don't know, Waydroid was originally Anbox Halium, which takes a containerized approach to running Android and essentially allow for full Android apps to run on a Linux OS. Showing this happening on a Pine phone is quite significant. Number four. Purism customers will be happy to hear that the Librem 14 and Mini are both capable of being preloaded with Cubes OS straight from the factory. This comes about because NitroKey has started publishing an OEM install version of Cubes for their own hardware, which automates the install using Kickstart. Purism has forked the project and added a few needed tweaks to allow for custom unlock phrases on boot. Number five. Adam Pig posted a video demoing device encryption on the Pine phone using Sailfish OS. It's a pretty decent watch if you've got the time. The ability to encrypt the home directory of the user makes for a much more secure device should your phone be lost or stolen. This doesn't seem to interfere with the boot time too much either, which is good news. Just don't lose your passphrase. Number six. Martin Bram released the 1.3.0 version of Megapixels, which brings much needed improvements to contrast and color handling of the post-processing and a redesign of the QR dialogue for data QR codes. As a side note, Mobian has it available now as well, thanks to the recent upgrade to Bookworm. More on that later. Stay tuned. Number seven. Dun, dun, dun. Pine64 have announced the Pine Note. This is a device I never knew I wanted. It's rocking an RK3566 CPU with a 1404 by 1872E ink panel and up to four gigs of RAM. This thing looks hot as hell, but be warned, it's still early days yet and still has a lot of hurdles to overcome. So if you're in the market for an e-reader but don't want to mess around with the underlying software, I'd recommend holding off while the pros in the community work their magic. This device has a ton of potential, but it's not ready for consumers just yet. Bring on the developers! Number 8 Manjaro Fosh 15 was released with a few long-awaited updates, including initial MMS support thanks to the updated MMSD TNG, a Pipewire update, a shiny new modem manager upgrade, and Megapixels 1.3.0. LibHandy gets a bump up, as does Siglo and Chatty. Visual Voicemail Player makes an appearance, and finally, the kernel gets a number increase as well, to fix a regression with the cameras not being detected by Megapixels. Number nine. Last but certainly not least, Dylan Van Ash posted a blog entry demystifying the PinePhone modem. He goes into detail about how a few distros have blamed the modem firmware for missed calls. He explains the reasons behind the misunderstandings and offers his answers in an easy to understand way while providing technical explanations for many of the myths surrounding the PinePhone modem. That brings us to the end of the news for this month, but now we move on to the interview with the founder of Mobian. Let's go. So I'd like to welcome Arno, who is joining us from the Mobian project. He is the founder of Mobian. 
Would you like to introduce yourself, yeah, Arno? Yeah, that's right, Arno. And uh, yeah, well, I go by the nickname Hawaii on the forums and social media and stuff. Cool. And I've been doing a little bit of research and I found your GitLab and GitHub pages. And it seems you've contributed to an absolute ton of different projects. Are there any specific projects you've got a, an interest in? Uh, well, I, almost every of them. I mean, uh, just having to be able to contribute to so many different stuff. I have uh, contributed to uh, stuff as various as U-Boot, SystemD, uh, Fosh, obviously, and uh, lots of things all across the software stack. Being able to touch all of those software with all of those communities and most of the time having really helpful maintainers and people giving you advice and helping you land the best possible changes in the into upstream software is something really enjoyable and rewarding at the same time. That's cool. And how did you get into software development? Is that something you learned over the years or is it something that you went into training for? Yeah, it started purely out of a passion. I, well, I've been surrounded by computers since I was uh, five years old. I'm almost 40 now, so it's been quite a long time. And uh, yeah, I've always been uh, really interested into how it worked, uh, how it went and basically I was studying mechanical engineering but that wasn't what I really wanted to do uh, to earn a living you know so in the meantime I pretty much self-taught computer programming and stuff like that and basically when I got my engineering degree I went on straight to work on software first it was proprietary software such as big uh, company-wide systems ERPs and stuff like that and progressively, I went into more open source software. I've been using Debian since I've almost began my uh, student life. Ah, I understand. So what brought you to open source? Yeah, well, as soon as I got quite serious into computing, I went into Linux. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, 99 or maybe the year 2000. And I was blown away by all of all of this ecosystem, everything which was available. I only knew Windows at the time. And uh, well, you wanted to start developing on Windows. Remember, it was really the late 90s and you had to buy expensive software or find a crack copy somewhere. But uh, yeah, you didn't have any freely available compilers and stuff like that and IDEs on Windows. Because there was Ball and C++ and things like that, wasn't there? I'm pretty sure it was paid. Uh, you had to pay for it at the time. But uh, yeah, to be honest, I don't remember the details. And Debian was your first taste of the open ecosystems? No, I went through a lot of distributions first. Uh, start, the first one I used was Corel Linux. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Which was a bit odd. No one remembers Corel <laughs> Linux. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really awful. So there's obviously reasons for no one remembering it. But <laughs> I got mine on the front of a magazine. It came as a demo disk. Yeah, I... I got it exactly the same way. I bought uh, some Linux magazine and I, oh, there were, there's a Linux destroy in it. Uh, yeah, let's try it out. 
and then it was all full. Like, what do you what do you mean? There's a full operating system here. You you can't be giving that away for free. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, so first contact with Linux and. Yeah, it didn't go very well, so when it shifted back to Windows for a few weeks or month, maybe, then I got into Red Hat. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And uh, it worked really way better than uh, than Corel. Then I went to Mandrake, if I recall correctly, which was a really really nice distribution at the time. And that ended up becoming Mandriva, didn't it? Yeah, that became Mandriva eventually. Uh, then what? Then I discovered uh, Linux from scratch site. LFS, yep. And yeah, and I immediately bought into it and uh, spent countless hours building my own distro, compiling everything from the kernel to the X11 and thing. And but it was really useful because it taught me a lot about the internals of a Linux system. And uh, actually, it maybe one of the most useful things I've learned at the time and that I still use on a daily basis for my day job. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I used to play with Gentoo. I had a modded Xbox and um, they had a distribution called Gentoo X, I think it was. And I that, that's where I got my first taste and I loved it. You know, you had to compile everything and when you finally got it running, you got emulators and all of those cool extras that you could never get on the original Xbox. It, it was great fun. Yeah, it gets really exciting when you get to that point where you build your whole system. And in the end, even if you don't understand everything you did, it just works. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Oh, dear. Um, so you're in France, yeah? I'm in France, yes, in uh, Toulouse, which is in the southwest of France. Oh, so you get the good weather. Most of the time, yes. <laughs> and you're living with your partner? Yeah, I have a, have a girlfriend I live with. I've uh, been living with for a few years. Uh, we have a cat, and yeah, that's pretty much a happy family. You know that this being the internet, people are going to ask, what kind of cat is it? Uh, just a, a black cat, regular black cat, nothing specific, but uh, it's just, uh, yeah. You know how cats are, so cute and annoying at the same time. <laughs> you know I absolutely had to ask. So now you're working for Collabora currently, yeah? Yep, that's it. Been uh, working for a bit more than three years for Collabora. At, uh, yeah, it's been pretty great for me because basically I'm doing, I'm being paid for doing open source software. And that kind of aligns with your own ethics, yeah? Yeah, obviously, uh, I've pretty much always wanted to do something like that, but I didn't realize, and it wasn't that easy at the time, but when I was younger, I didn't even hope it would be possible one day. And uh, and yeah, over time, I went into more into low-level software. I have uh, quite a decent experience with uh, embedded Linux now, and uh, yeah, I had a... Had a a um, former co-worker which uh, worked for Collabora and uh, yeah, he basically sold it to me and I fully bought into it and that's that's a really great company, honestly. Ah, okay. Can you give your own opinion about how projects like this can become commercially viable products? 
there's no real uh, problem with that actually it's uh, the, the thing is with uh, companies like that which really put open source at the center I, I've worked for a lot of companies using open source software but really aiming to improve the ecosystem as a whole and really aiming to work with upstream every time it's possible which is really a lot of time is a is a really nice philosophy in that sense that it attracts passionate developers and it, it attracts talented people and when you get these people on board, then you can build an expertise, you can easily sell to big companies. And that's really how things work out, uh, at least for us. The, the company ethos and the way we approach things and the way we deal with people and their feelings and stuff, it's really a really sane way of doing things. And so it, it attracts naturally talented people and then we can have projects going on really nicely and the customers being happy and it's quite naturally commercially viable you know as long as you do the right things you don't have to worry too much about that it pretty much puts into place by itself ah gotcha so what sort of personal projects or previous projects have you worked on that you know maybe you'd like to go back to one day uh, no, I have uh, had a, quite a lots of really small projects, but they were mostly one of things uh, such as, uh, okay, let's try that one. Uh, let's see how it goes. And in the end, I lost quickly interest uh, once I got the working prototype. Okay, the itch I had was scratched. So basically, I didn't need to put it further. I think that kind of goes for all of us. Um, I ended up buying a 3D printer, and I swear I I built it and I configured it, and I got it working damn near perfectly. I think I printed maybe half a dozen objects, and that was it. I done everything I set out to accomplish, and it's just sitting on the shelf gathering dust now. Yeah, it's, I mean, I have a box full of gizmos and dev boards and stuff I wanted to do something with. Either it never started or I went to a first prototype and I got, uh, okay, yeah, this, this signals are working as expected. So what now? Okay, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> so one of the things we spoke about briefly before we started was your interest in music. Yeah, I've been, play I've been playing music for quite a while, almost 30 years now. And uh, basically, if you were to see my home office, it's full of guitars, bass guitars, amplifiers, even bought myself an electronic drums uh, during one of the lockdowns last year. Nice. So is it a personal hobby or do you produce music for people to listen to? Yeah, well, I have a, I have a band. I've had a few ones over the year, obviously. But uh, yeah, if you want to have a sneak peek of what I can do, my former band. Uh, if you shoot me over the link, I'll make sure it goes in the description. Yeah, sure. I tend that to you. Basically, uh, you can expect grunge, rock, hardcore music. And um, what would be your favorite guitar to play? Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> uh, really, basically, Gibson-like guitars are really great. Uh, I actually don't have any Gibson-branded one because I'm really in love with Japanese-made guitars. But I have a, a 
Navigator Les Paul, which is one of my favorites. Yep, yep. I have a 78 Greco My Rage, which is a really odd guitar and has a really great feeling to it. I have an Explorer, Japanese made too. I am oh. so jealous. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... What kind of audio equipment do you use? I imagine you've got a pretty decent cabinet there. Uh, yeah, actually, being uh, being so passionate about music led me to start my own business a few years ago. It was uh, from uh, 2010 to 2012. And I was building, actually, custom-made uh, tube amplifiers for guitar and bass guitar. Wow. Do you still make them? No, I've fully stopped making those about uh, two years ago. I just didn't have time anymore for that. But the result is that I now have about four or five tube amplifiers at home, <laughs> which were all the prototypes I made at the time I had the business. As I was uh, skimming through the site for your music and, and stuff, I noticed that you get into some really heavy technical detail. Yeah, that's... Well, even at that time, I had that uh, open source oriented mind. So basically I set up, while I was running the business, I set up a GitHub account in which I posted all the schematics of the amplifiers I was building because the added value is not in the schematic itself. In terms of guitar amplifiers, pretty much everything has been done. So you you just want innovate and uh, make something really different, especially for tube amplifiers. Oh, nice. So yeah, I had all the schematics in the wild and uh, the added value is obviously building the amplifier itself and the wiring part and stuff like that. Basically, I wanted to, yeah, always had that, uh, that will to share knowledge and help people. I was for, uh, for quite a long time, uh, one of the main contributors to a French speaking forum for people wanting to build and design their own amplifiers. And, uh, basically the thing is you get from the community. So you have to give back. What I learned about amplifiers, I mostly learned it on that specific forum and in a few books, obviously. So the community helped me gain some knowledge to the point that I was able to run a business. So why not give back and just help others get the same knowledge and skills? Nice. And, and so those schematics, they're still online for people to download? Yeah. I'll send you the link uh, later, but... Uh yeah, you have to look for M Factory in on GitHub. Excellent. Okay, so let's get on to some of the Mobian stuff. Yeah, then. sure. You're the founder of Mobian, yeah? That's right, yes. And why did you choose Debian as the base for Mobian? Uh, mostly because I've been using Debian of all my computers for more than 15 years. So, yeah, I'm pretty, uh, pretty fan of this, uh, this distribution how they make things and uh, how it all just works at least uh, most of the time. And Mobian's arguably one of the the most stable operating systems for the Pine phone, especially. I mean, it's almost daily drivable. Uh, yeah, well, credits have to be made for purism. In that case, it's really, they, they did an awesome job with Fosh. And I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be where we're at right now if it wasn't for them. And obviously others, I don't want to minimize other contributions. Plasma Mobile is apparently becoming uh, 
quite solid too. And uh, once Lomiri, the UbiPort UI is available more widely, I'm pretty sure it will be a good option too. But actually, Fosh was the first really usable one as a daily driver, apart from Ubuntu uh, Touch, obviously. But it was the first UI any distribution could easily package and run, and it worked quite well from the moment the PinePhone started to arrive in developers' hands. Mm, yeah. And was it the PinePhone you started first building on, or...? Yeah, actually, I pre-ordered the Librem 5 before the PinePhone was announced. And uh, yeah, I couldn't wait uh, when I saw the Pine64 announcements and the Braveheart <laughs> edition pre-orders. I immediately bought one and I got mine. It was uh, just before FOSDEM 2020. So Mobian isn't officially part of Debian, is it? That's right. Mobian is a separate project. But uh, yeah, the line is quite blurry there because we most of the Mobian developers are also Debian maintainers or in the process of becoming uh, Debian maintainers. And we really aim at improving things and upstreaming most of our work into Debian itself so we can finally be part of Debian uh, fully. I imagine that there's a decent amount of work that goes into maintaining the packages for Mobian. How, how many packages are there, roughly? Uh, well, Mobian-specific stuff is about 50 packages. And the good thing is we can drop some of those on a regular basis with upstream software, picking up uh, the base, integrating patches from Purism, ourselves or other developers. And uh, over time, well, yeah, we found solutions to avoid having device-specific tweaks on that and that specific area. And uh, yeah, so basically we hold around 50 packages and this number is shrinking uh, over time and that's great, actually. Basically, Mobian, ultimate goal is to disappear so to become part of debian we just want to be able to integrate everything into debian and upstream projects so that we don't have to maintain anything specific and we can just focus on the debian packages the core debian distribution and we can use debian straight up on phones at least that's what, what we aim to oh okay and how many people roughly are involved directly with Mobian? Uh, I don't have the exact number in mind, but I'd say around 10 people. And you've just started the move from Debian Bullseye to Debian Bookworm, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Following the Debian Bullseye release, we had a chat, an uh, internal chat, and concluded that the Bullseye state would not be interesting in uh, for mobile phones to user-facing applications, you know. So basically, we decided to drop Bullseye support completely. And so we don't have a Mobian stable release in itself. We just go for Bookworm and uh, keep on following the testing distribution so we can update regularly and bring to users the latest versions of, uh, of the software. Yeah, I noticed that you uh, just rolled out the latest version of Megapixels, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, we had 
Well, the GTK4 wasn't part of Bullseye, so we had to wait until the Bullseye release to get it into Deviant testing, which is now Bookworm. And uh, yeah, it took a few weeks, uh, and then we had to pick up with that. And finally, Megapixels was uploaded uh, probably late uh, last week, and it's getting down into testing right now. <laughs> Still a few glitches, but it's nothing megapixels. Yeah, I saw the graphical glitches, but I mean, hey, it works, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not pretty, but I mean, the camera works great and uh, the viewfinder is hardware accelerated, so you don't have any uh, any slowdowns. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty solid work, uh, thanks, to, uh, thanks to Martin especially who developed this application, it's really great. So now that you've moved to or are, are moving to Bookworm, you're only going to continue doing security updates for Bullseye? Yeah, we're not even doing security updates on uh, Bullseye. We're dropping support for it completely. So basically, we'll for now, it's still, a, it's still a transition period, but within a few weeks or maybe a few months, once the dust has settled, we'll encourage people and uh, to, to upgrade to Bookworm because basically they'll have uh, security updates from the Debian side, which are the most important, the libc and uh, all the systemd stuff and all the base system, the core system will still be updated through Debian, but uh, yeah, Mobian-specific packages won't, and that includes the kernel. Oh, okay. So that's not something that's uh, sustainable in the long run. Pretty much uh, moving to Bookworm will be pretty much mandatory within a couple of months. So how would you describe Mobian's uh, performance on the likes of the Pine phone? Uh, yeah, it's quite, quite hard to answer that. Uh, I mean, I've been using it as a daily driver for a year and a half. So basically to me, it's quite sufficient. It lags a bit. It's not overly reactive. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much, uh, we have pretty, we're pretty much limited by the, by the PinePhone CPU for that, unfortunately. But overall, it's still very usable, but it all depends on what expectations you have. I've never been uh, using much apps on other uh, other phones. Uh, actually, I pretty much never used Android. Also, I've been uh, with Linux phones for quite a while. I had a Yola phone. Oh, those look great. Uh, then I had a Nexus 5 running Ubuntu Touch. Because I just didn't want to to get into. Uh, I had iPhones at the beginning. It was uh, yeah more than ten years ago, and they were great devices. But then I, it just didn't fit the way I wanted to control uh, my computing devices. Uh, I mean, it don't make much sense to me running Debian on my servers, personal computers, and so on and having iOS on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, so basically I've been running Linux-driven devices for quite a while and uh, never had a dependency on the Google Store or iStore or anything like that. And third-party applications were on the phones I had were either open source or uh, built-in. 
And so I made everything through web browsers most of the time. So it didn't change much for me. And at the same time, I see people saying that they use that or that application. And I fully understand that, uh, yeah, they're kind of stuck because all their relatives use maybe Signal or WhatsApp. Oh, I know. It, it's so frustrating. I mean, all of my family use Facebook and they get so upset with me because they can't get in contact with me directly. Yeah. They literally have to contact my wife and send messages through her to me. I mean, like, really? I haven't had a Facebook account in well over a decade now. Come on. Yeah, I know that. So where do you see Mobian going in the future? Uh, I don't know. Just getting, well, I mentioned it earlier, but getting kind of absorbed into Debian would be the, the big thing. And having, uh, yeah, guess what's missing right now and what I'd like to develop more is uh, attracting more people trying to port Mobian to multiple devices. And uh, yeah, we probably will get to it ultimately, but it still need a bit of work on our side to make things easier for people to port uh, Mobian to more devices, pretty much like uh, PostMarketOS have done really well. They've really created a whole infrastructure and laid the foundations for people to easily contribute and we can probably get some inspiration from them and hopefully we'll get to the same point and stop only relying on the work of the post-market OS community for porting to new devices, but instead contribute ourselves to that, uh, to that kind of stuff. Are there any plans to branch out Mobian into, say, uh, Plasma Mobile or SXMO? Uh, there are no definite plans, but that's really something we'd like to happen. The thing is, for now, we're fully, uh, fully absorbed into working on the base system and Forge, and uh, we don't have more time to spend on packaging uh, Plasma Mobile or Lumiri or SXMO for Debian, because we really want to have those in Debian first or at least in a state which would be acceptable to upload them to Debian and only then use those uh, on Mobian. So yeah, we welcome any help in this regard and we'd really love to be able to offer other UIs with Mobian. Are there any you know new release packages or updates that we, we should be looking forward to in the near future? Uh, well, lately it's been mostly trying to reduce the gap between uh, what we ship and what's available on stream. And what about things like uh, MMS, which is a relatively recent development and uh, packages like that? Are they, they coming to Mobian soon too? Yes, definitely. Uh, Chris, who took over maintenance for MMSD, or rather forked it as uh, MMSD TNG, is actually part of the Mobian developers team. So we have MMSD already packaged into Mobian with efforts currently ongoing into bringing it to the Debian archive itself. And we're following closely its progress on Chatty for uh, well, providing the UI for MMS and integrate everything together. But uh, yeah, as soon as there's an official Chatty release which integrates MMS support, it will be in Mobian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there were skills that people could contribute to Mobian or types of people that you'd like to help, 
what sort of people would you be looking for? Uh, well, the most researched skills for us are Debian packaging, but that's not something really difficult to learn. There are multiple ways to contribute, and uh, we have uh, people just doing some documentation or just uh, moderating uh, the matrix channel and so on, and just being there also to answer people's questions, the newcomers' questions mostly, is already a great help because then the people who does the actual packaging or development can fully focus on that and don't uh, so yeah to each uh, according to his skills to their skills and talents and interests and and yeah we're welcoming anyone uh, always need for help obviously when you're uh, no person project you'll <laughs> never get enough uh, hands or brains to to do everything yeah yeah fully understand um I think that about covers all the questions I had. Is there anything you'd like to pass on? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, no, actually. Uh, well, the only thing I'd like to say is that I hope that this time, because there's, there's been quite a few attempts in the past, but I hope that this time the ecosystem we build as a whole with all the desktop environments and all the distributions and uh, even the hardware manufacturers such as Purism and Pine64, obviously. Uh, I hope that this whole ecosystem really gains traction and that we see more and more supported devices and that finally Linux on mobile becomes a really interesting and, uh, and usable option. So like a, a viable product. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. And I will put links to your music and, and your repos in the description below. Oh, thanks for inviting me and having me on. You are most welcome. And I look forward to seeing some great things from Mopian. Yeah, I hope so. Hey! Are you talking to me? Yes, I am. And there you have it. That about closes out the news for this month. If you'd like to have more frequent weekly podcasts, please feel free to let me know. The biggest thanks goes out to Arnulf for graciously giving us some of his valuable time and a special thanks goes out to Linmob for helping me get my ass into gear and giving me some much needed advice when I needed it. See you next month.